To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Ted and Carrie Anye, today's guests, senior level music executive at BMG with over 20 plus years of experience working with the likes of the Madonnas of the world, Justin Bieber's, Mary J. Blige, uh, Britney Spears, to name a few. Uh, songwriter here. Um, he is definitely, uh, what I say, a creative first, a creative first, and has a passion that kind of speaks to the language uh, of making hit records. Before we have him kind of walk us through his journey, I want to start with our signature question. And, and when you hear culture, what does that mean to you, my friend? Uh, culture is is your village. Culture mm. is, um, it is a soundtrack. It is the essence. It is food. It is the energy of your culture, of your background, and your village in which way you grew up. That's what I think of culture. I love it. You know what? We're looking at you know your background. I think it makes total sense that you're a very successful VP of A and R, given your extensive songwriting background, and it's also. I think shows the ability to, to have an impact in the evolution of music culture, both inside and outside the boardroom. What kind of prompted you to make this shift from the creative side to the executive side of the business? Um, great question. It's funny because I think I'm at that apex in my career where uh, I, I can say this. I've done, I did 12 and a half years on each side right now. So I'm entering my 25th year. Wow. So, um, I, and, and what I really woke up one day and I, you know, songwriting for me was, wasn't a job. It was something that I loved, but in Atlanta, we approach it very much, very similar to how they do it in Nashville. Like, you know, we went to work every day we went to the studio, Atlanta as black Nashville, we went, we went to go write songs and we approached it from a, and a work-like perspective, like it was, whatever was on the calendar, whatever artist was coming to town, whatever schedule was coming, was on the schedule. So we went to work every day. And in, in life, uh, I believe in, 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 in flow and change. And I literally, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the back of the studio um, about oh, 10 to 12 years in my career, 10 to 11 years in my career. And I said, you know, I really want to become an A&R. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I said that to myself quietly. And then I started letting some people know that that was my, those were my aspirations. And then I tell people this, to be honest with you, the real thing that pushed me over the edge was I met this, discovered this songwriter um, from New Orleans, but I met him here in LA and he gave me his demo and I listened to this demo. I didn't listen to it right away. And I said, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And I left it in a car and someone that I was seeing at the time, she said to me, she's like, man, these songs that you wrote are phenomenal. And I'm like, great, thank you. Because she was driving my car and I didn't have it. And I'm going to date myself because this was on the CD. So <laughs> she was listening to the CD and she was like, oh, these songs you wrote are amazing. And, you know, and she's like, well, why did you write this song about getting, running away and getting married? And I'm like, I never wrote no song about running away and getting married. I was like, I said, oh, shit, that's probably that kid that I met. When I was in LA and I was like, Love that. let me go back and listen to these songs. 
and I've heard these songs, and these songs were fucking phenomenal. And so I heard these songs, and this kid was so prolific, so amazing. And I believe Father Time, which is still undefeated, told me, I'm a very big sports fan, so I'll make a quick sports reference. So at some point when, you, when you're playing and you're on the court and you're hooping, and here comes this young kid and you realize, yo, as an old man, I can't move the way I can. I can't jump the way I can. 1,000%. And this kid came in and he crossed me up creatively. And I was like, yo, I'm not as good as this kid. Long story short, I ended up getting a publishing gig, a consultancy, and my very first publishing gig. I said, I got to sign this kid. And this kid turned out to be Frank Ocean. So, <laughs> yo, it, you, you're joking on that. That's the person who motivated yeah. you. Frank Ocean retired my pen. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, so and well, so many ironies to this. You know, it's, I, I have three girls, and two of my girls have turned. I don't want to say turned me on. I was always familiar with Frank Ocean, but my true appreciation for him has built tremendously since my daughters have played him so much. So it, it's so funny and very interesting, really, how you talk about the impact of his sound, his talent, his creative genius, being able to influence somebody who can then influence others yeah. right, about his greatness, which is exactly what happened to you, where the, your partner at that point, at that time, was talking to you about this amazing song that you wrote, and you then find out, what well, that's not, that wasn't mine. <laughs> and, and that wasn't me. No, it, that's so beautiful. And then look at the, the birth of Frank Ocean. Yeah, and so my very first gig was that I was a consultant for the company in which I'm now senior vice president of that. Um, and I was like, hey, I got to sign this kid. I was like, I know I just got here, but I said, this kid's amazing. And so he was my very first deal I ever made, my very first signing. And I was, you know, and, you know, he and I grew together in this business. He went on to become, you know, I guess one of the greatest artists of our generation and the greatest songwriters and one of the greatest just creative individuals but I saw that you know and I say that I can't say that I saw all this because you know I tell people this story all the time when we were working against them. so what the first thing I did was I said okay I gotta get this I gotta recoup this deal mm -hmm. and so you know as a young executive I'm like okay cool I, I gave this kid and cut this kid a check so now I gotta get this money back and you know I felt it incumbent to like let me figure out let me go pitch his records I was like, you know, let's, let's go get you a record deal because you're an, you'll be an amazing artist, blah, blah, blah. So first thing I did is I called Scooter Brown. I said, Scooter, I got this kid named Frank Lottie, bro. I said, I got to put some songs. You got to hear this kid. He'd be great for Justin Bieber. My first, Frank's first cut was uh, a song called Bigger. And it was on Justin's, Justin's album. So I was, I was pitching. So I was like, okay, cool, Frank, we're in business. Now, now pitching songs. You got to cut on this kid named Justin Bieber from Canada. I think he's going to be pretty big. <laughs> I, I, lo I love the humble nature to these 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 individuals. Of, I, I think they're gonna be pretty. Deep. I mean, listen, at the time where you know I'm hustling, I'm just, I I I could get Scooter on the phone. That 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 that, that should tell you how, how, early, how, how much how early the game was. I ended up actually well, that going back to because actually I wrote Bieber's very first single one time. So as a, in my songwriting days, I, I wrote his very first single. So I had a relationship with Scooter and had been able to place a lot of songs. And so I was like, wow. cool. Um, I know I can get this song on this album. So I did that, and then one of the the other funny story was, so I called my friend, great producer Tricky Stewart, who um, was an executive at Def Jam at the time, 
I said, Trick, I said, listen, man, I signed his kid. I think he's an amazing, I think he'll be an amazing artist. You really got to do this deal. Just take a listen to the music and hopefully you love it. And Trick was like, all right, cool. I'm actually driving to Vegas. So I'll pop it in the CD and when I'm on my way to Vegas. And two months had gone by and Tricky hadn't called me back about this music. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, man, when you get to listen to this kid, I'm trying to tell you he's amazing, he's amazing. And Trick's like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And uh, Trick called me on his, on his drive back from Vegas. <laughs> and he's like, yo, where's this kid at? And I'm like, I said, finally, you finally listened to it. I was like, shit, he's right here, whatever. He's like, yo, let's do a deal at Def Jam. And I said, amazing. And I was like, okay, this is, this is finally working out. So I called Frank, got him a record deal, Tricky signed him to Def Jam. And I'll never forget, you know, it was, I was landing at the airport one day and I was driving and I'll never, never forget, there was an article, there's a big um, music editor here with the LA Times and I'll never forget, he wrote an article about Frank and I literally had the newspapers I was landing and this article happened and my phone just started blowing up. And I'm like, you know, this is when he put out Nostalgia Ultra. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, like, this is fucking crazy. I said, yo, bro, I think, I think people love you. I think this shit is about to happen. <laughs> and, and it was just, it kind of happened like that. And then I'll never forget, everybody in the business was like, hey, where's this kid at that you got? Where's this kid? They were calling me, where's this kid? Where's this kid? Where's this kid? Including people at Def Jam who did not know they had him signed. <laughs> wow. That part. Yeah. So that, that, so to answer your story long winded. I made the decision to become an executive based off me meeting a kid named Lonnie Bro slash Frank Ocean. No, I, I love that. And and another element in here is it's it sounds like the the muscle and the 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 desire for patience, right? Um, because a number of the things that you mentioned, you know, nothing hit quote unquote immediately. Yeah. It took that patience and that discernment to let it sit and when it was time, it was going to be. And, and you and you saw that through. And, and as I'm already listening to, you know, with with all the artists, um, labels, and companies you've worked with over the years, what, was there a moment where you realized just how big and instrumental this music culture was to overall culture of life? Yeah, I mean, I grew up on this thing, man. You know, it's 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 a language that I've been speaking since I was a kid, and a language that I've been listening to. And and so my brother was a radio DJ at UC Santa Cruz up in the Bay and, you know, I would always just hang out with him. He had like a, a midnight rotation. So I would just be like, you know, under there with some, with, with the records, be like, hey, you should try to play this, play this, play this. And I would just study credits and, you know, just any which way I can get close to the music. So, um, yeah, for me, music has just always just been a part of my culture. And, and, I, and, you know, it's funny, I was telling somebody the other day, literally just you know, we sometimes we get lost in our in the business of it all because it's just what we do for a living. But at the mm -hmm. core, yeah, at the core, it, it, you know, I I'm here because I loved I love music and it, it's that hasn't changed. And and a lyric, a good melody, an amazing hook, still drives me to this day. Mm -hmm. I guess it, that's also the beauty of doing something that you love, so it doesn't seem like work every day. Yeah. And, and you were you were talking about your brother. So you, you you're a first generation immigrant from South Africa, correct? Yes. And so you you literally you know made your way into this industry, very similar to how I see even like Afrobeats and music from the African diaspora that's kind of making this significant mark on music yeah. culture in general. 
What's your thoughts on the emerging, you know, global influence that Africa is having in particular? We're just getting started. Yeah. We're just getting started. Um, as long as we, I think it's important to, to take ownership of it. I think it's important to make sure that it doesn't lose its, its essence. You know, you know, I'm a piano has been around for four or five years. People were tell, telling me about I'm a piano four years ago and sending me I'm a piano artists. And, you know, now, now you hear I'm a piano in, in A&R meetings and you're like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the gift and the curse because great music knows no borders, right? It, it, That's right. It, it, should, it should be for the world. You just want to make sure that it doesn't get watered down by the world, you know, and, and, and it, the essence of what it is, you know, listen, it's what hip hop was, right? So it's, 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 we know where the home of hip hop is and we understood how hip hop had its roots and, and why it's, it's, it's still to this day, you know, the voice of, of, of a lot of the unheard, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think, I hope that Afrobeats, you know, the just overall, on the piano, whatever you want to break it down to, still resonates from the continent, and that people from the continent get the credit. People from the continent are are behind the music. People from the continent are behind the the business decisions of the music. That's right. That's They're right. Creators of the music. That's right. And, and, and for me, that is very important. It sounds like it could take a a learning from the the journey and the history of hip hop, and because as you as you made the comment of taking ownership and not lose its essence, I, I was thinking to myself, he's definitely speaking from a place of reference. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously something that's taken place that spurred this comment, and you alluded to it in hip-hop. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, what do you think that's going to look like, right? Because that's going to be a new discipline, a new understanding, because we have a significant learning on the evolution of hip-hop, the impact of hip-hop, which is an IP that we've created, but now has to certain degrees been, what you want to call it, watered down, utilized or benefited by many others who probably are not from the diaspora. How do we now with Afrobeats and short, what are some of the things that you would recommend? Here are the things that we have to do. And I think you kind of alluded to a couple, but what are the things we have to do to ensure that it's not the same as? Great question. Uh, I think those, you know, you know I, I think a footprint in on the continent, um, from labels is necessary. Um, rather than rather than us people having to travel here, I think it's important for labels and and those alike to go there and to to not bastardize it and to understand what it is. You know, listen, when you get off the plane and you go to Nashville, every major label is in Nashville. Hmm. They're all there, right? And and Nashville's done an amazing job of they put a fence around country music. If you want to be in country music, you have to go and you have to spend time in Nashville. You can't be in country music and on Wilshire Boulevard. Cause then it's not country music. So I guess in the sense it's very similar to what has to take place for African music, for from music of the continent, for music of the origin of it. So I think that's important for labels and people and independents and all that. They have to be on the continent. Unapologetically too. Unapologetically. And and do business with people on the continent. Yeah, this what you just said about Nashville, I mean, made it so clear of a picture of what's needed. 
right? When you said Nashville put a fence around country music and nobody's coming after them for doing so, right? It is, it, and it's maintaining the purity and the essence of, of that genre, which is such a great example of what can be applied yeah. elsewhere. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, as you talk about that, I also think about, all right, then how, how do you approach now diversity and inclusion in your role, ensuring that, you know, a variety of voices and, and perspectives are kind of respected in the artists who you work with or represented, I should say, uh, in the artists you work with and the music you kind of support, which is very similar, kind of an evolution to, <laughs> to the, the answer that you just gave. You're saying you're saying in terms of the arts that I currently work with, well, yeah, and just in general in the music business, right? It, it we talk about diversity and inclusion in a very corporate yeah. sense, right? But I think in the in the music sense, there's this opportunity to approach it in a very unique way to ensure that certain you know uh, cer certain types of people or voices are represented, right? And I, again, Afrobeats kind of being a part of that. Uh, from from an inside perspective, I'd love to get your thoughts on how you approach that. When I say inside, from an A and R standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, listen again. It's it's go go to those who are making the music and speak to those who are making the music. And I, and I think it's important too to educate those about all aspects of the business that are, those that are making the music, educate them and let them know how to grow a business, how to build their business, how to scale their business, um, in and out of the studio. In, a, in an off stage, I think for me, that's one of the things that I love to do. And I, and I feel a kinship, especially to those that are that are making that music. Uh, I, I had some conversations today with some people on the, on the continent this morning in, jo in Johannesburg, because I'm actually taking a trip there in February. So I'm, I'm, I'm setting up meetings and, you know, last time I was there, I sat with Tebow Touch, who was the biggest DJ, and I got a chance to go spend some time with him. So, you know, for me, it's, it's about going to those people and 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 letting them know listen we, we we america is you know if you make it here you make it anywhere but at the end of the day it's we're not coming with without respect for what you're building but i think it's about to, to answer your question it's a little bit about education letting people know how to how to do it how to build it um but for the most part too like man a lot of these kids are doing such amazing things with from a dance perspective and, and creating their own content so it's it's just a matter of time, but yeah, I, I want to make sure that ownership people understand how important ownership is. Now, ownership is is a huge thing, and and when you talk about ownership, uh, I, I look at you know the recognition that also comes with it, right? Um, and what it is that we've created within this black community, and what this has brought to the the world, which is often then you know, borrowed, uh, appropriated and inspired other, you know, cultures and industries. The ownership piece is a huge, huge component that I feel we have to do a better job of carving out that equity, right? And ensuring from the start, yes. we are we are owning the IP that mm -hmm. we created. Mm -hmm. And given that, that this culture has impacted so much um, and in shaping you know, movies culture, it, it feels like there's a, a significant disparity in seeing more black owned record labels and, and things to that degree. What do you think is needed to kind of shift this greater equity and ownership conversation and balance in the industry? Um, 
I won't simplify it, but I'll tell you one of the things that's needed. So, you know, I I, I, I had a friend of mine like, why do you want to work at a label? Why do you need people inside a label? Why do, why do you want to work at a label? I told him, I said, listen, I said, if there's not a person inside the building that looks like me, listen, that's, they, that's, they won't understand you. That's right. That's right. The way I understand you. And, 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 and at the time in when I, in which I understand you, listen, anybody can find you when you're hot. There's enough algorithms that we're all staring at the same shit at the same data. Right. But at the same time, it's like, you need somebody inside of a building who speaks your language, who looks like you. It's why it's why Latin departments aren't built. It's because you're not going to find somebody doing regional Mexican music. And when he goes to do a label, there's going to have to be somebody inside the company that understands regional Mexican music. And it's no different to me what happens with, with, with our culture. Listen, man, black folk need to talk to black people inside a building. Black folk, we, we need to translate some things inside of a building. I've done it when I was at Def Jam for six years. There'd be many times when I'd be like, listen here, you want to get this deal done. This is how we have to do it. This is how you have to present it. Mm -hmm. about it. You need somebody inside the building. Internal advocates. Who, internal advocates who can translate, who can help get your vision across the board so that it makes sense to everybody so that we can get this deal across the finish line. Yeah, and you know, that approach you know, it's very different from how many people would think to answer that question, right? We, we figure out ways of how to get more black on labels, but we don't see the significance of ensuring that there's representation in the rooms to ensure that those opportunities can then happen, right? Because we, 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 you know, many of us who are inside these buildings, we're also educators, yes. right? We're, we're, we're providing the information to those who don't live the culture, don't understand the culture, um, are not of the culture, but it's our jobs to educate and inform them to bring them along so that the culture can be what the culture needs to be and the individuals within it. So I, I love the way you just answered that of, no, we, we still need a bunch of us inside these buildings to do this work so that those labels can't happen and those right. things can't happen. Right. Yes. So talk to me about the, the definition of, of stardom in this music industry, which I think is kind of transformed over the years tremendously. And in your opinion, what kind of defines like a, a music artist as a star in today's digital age? Um, because I think that's shifted the industry as well. Um, well, there's hit songs. <laughs> Can't take away a hit record. And, and, and there's stars. Mm. We, 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 I, I really don't believe that stars, what was a star, who, who was a star that in the nineties would be a star today? Would not. Would be. Would, would be. be. Okay. I still believe the essence of what a star is when they walk in the room, <laughs> they carry themselves differently than anybody else that's in the room. Mm. I'm, I believe that Doja Cat, who is a current star, would be a star in 1998, 1988, mm. 2018, and 2028. Um, so to me, when we say a star in today's industry, they're just not as many. <laughs> um, but the essence of a star hasn't changed. Mm. With Bruno Mars, why does Bruno come to mind? When you gave the analogy of somebody being a star in each kind of 
that game. Would would Bruno fall within that mix for you? A hundred percent. Yeah, I felt that because when you just broke that down about Doja, I was like, wow, what other artists do you can you see like being a star in the eighties, nineties, maybe even the seventies? And and Bruno was just like, Bruno could have rocked the Grammy stage in the nineties <laughs> easily, and 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 killed it then as much as he would could kill it today. So yeah. again. It's just, there are just not as many Brunos and Doja Cats walking around here. <laughs> Facts. I think Fats. the bar, I think, you listen, you know, I, I don't want to sound like the old guy at the club, but I think the bar is low. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, when you have a star, man, it's just, when, when you when, when you come across one of those, they, they're rare, you know what I mean? And it's, it's they're just they're just hard to find. And, and But, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you said, I don't want to sound like the old guy, but to a degree, there was an era where we saw artists or things develop, yes, mature, yes. Um, and and I do think we're in an era now where the market and the consumers look for it to be immediate microwave. I call it the microwave era. We're we're very much in the microwave era. We we got to have some put in for like thirty seconds and it needs to pop immediately. Where you know we come from a, a time where. It was the, the the oven era where you, you put something in, you let that thing marinate, operation marination. You got all the seasons kind of work together, and then it came out. It was this magical experience. Right. And, and I feel like that. I don't know if the appetite is there so much anymore for that type of journey and that build. Um. God. I, I I tend to agree with you. Unfortunately, um, yeah. I think you know. Not that there's any first week album sales anymore, because no no one does that anymore. But, exactly. But but to your point, that artist development is kind of you know an antiquated term these days. You know what I'm saying? And mm. you know, uh, but a lot of it has to be done on your own, right? So a lot of it is a lot of it is you know you're you're hustling and you're. You're you're getting your songs out. You're putting your songs. You call it just real kid getting your songs on Spotify. You're doing all this your own. You're shooting your own content. You're finding your your own way. You know, I I my only thing what I I wish there was more of is that there were less people trying to be like the the guy next door, the artist next door, right? I I believe that there was so much individualism when we were growing up. Yeah, know? and 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 I I think it's still out there in some artistry. It's out there, but you know. You know, I, I remember when Missy said something a while ago. She like when she was in her in her her heyday writing records, she just never listened to the radio. You That's know? right. Never to be influenced by it. Everything you got from her <laughs> was authentically her, and it wasn't influenced. It wasn't, you know. And I and I I, I didn't think when she said it, it didn't come across as from a very arrogant standpoint. It just but I got it, and I took it as the creativity came from within. It flowed from within. It didn't need to come from anywhere else. And I wish that there was more of that. That purity. Yeah. Listen, man, like I, I, I tell people, we have, you know, my, my, my phrase is that we all have our own fingerprints. We should all have our own music, right? You know what I mean? And it's like, when, when you, when, you heard, when, when Eminem told you what 8 Mile was, you never heard of 8 Mile before. You never wanted to go to goddamn no 8 Mile. Thanks. When, 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 uh, 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 what you call it, told you about, East 1990, Bone Thugs and Harmony told you about East 1999 in Cleveland. You never knew what that was, but they brought you. Facts. You know what Facts. I mean? Facts. Motown, fuck, you never heard of no Motown Philly. 
But when Boise Mir told you what Motown Philly was, they, 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 you know, and they put the bow ties on, they, they brought you to where they were. There was individuality and everybody had their own individuality, you know, and they brought their own thing, their own uniqueness to the table. And I just believe, you know, when, when, when Drake and everybody else put Toronto on, you know, they, they, they represented where they were from and they brought this whole thing and they brought it in, it pulled you to where they were, you know, where they were from. They gave you some insight creatively and they told their stories. I just believe that's what's still missing. And we go back to even what Outkast did and, you know, and, and, and what they did and they brought you to Atlanta and, you know, people had never been there. Yeah, and, and it's and it's not it's not being different for the sake of being different because no. when you when you try to do that, then you're all gonna look the same. As crazy as that sounds, but it's the the authenticity of your point of differentiation, the purity of like you said, your fingerprint. I, I, again, a, a beautiful analogy and the reminder that literally we all have a song. Every one of us, we all God have. has gifted us. We're all just stewards of these gifts. The hope is that we all get to showcase whatever these gifts are. And some of them in the conversation that we're having in the literal sense of a song is beautiful, but we all have these songs. 100%. But I, I, I think that the beauty of the, the individuality of it and the authenticity of the storytelling, I think it is so rich, which is what you, what you hit on. And I, I look at today's landscape and, and the rise of streaming platforms, right? And the way consumers are accessing um, and experiencing music has also changed. How has that kind of shifted to influence your approach as like an A&R to the development side of artists? Um, another good question. Good question. Um, listen, at, at, you know, no one sends you demos anymore. You know what I mean? So it's all- They don't. <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's, I'm streaming. It's all streaming. It's all streaming. So listen, you're, you're, so my approach is like, you know, I'll take a listen to it. I'll, you know, if it's up there, I'll listen to it. Um, I don't always care about streams, numbers, and none of that because I believe that if you find the right partner, somebody can elevate where you're going and help you elevate your vision. But if the songs are amazing, if the art is there, and there's a connection between the art and the artist, I, you know, that's that's a beautiful day for me at the A and R. You know, if you if you can find that 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 gem, and you you build it. So for me, that's sort of been just still my approach. Right, because I almost feel like because remember uh, there was a there was a thing of breaking, breaking a new artist or or breaking new music, breaking new music. Is that even a thing anymore? Yeah, it it is, but it doesn't happen as much. You know, you know, I, we had a debate in the, in my in my office this time last year, going into twenty twenty three, and there, we were all sitting around and we were like, no artist, no artist broke in twenty twenty two. And you know, and everybody would be like, "No, that's not initially true." And then you know, something really like a Jack Harlow, but no, Jack Jack Harlow came out in twenty whatever. But literally, we were saying no artist broke in the pre in the previous year. People going back and forth. But that being said, artists come out, they don't break, and I guess we can all determine what breaking an artist is. I, right, I, that's all relative. Yeah, it's relative. I think at least if you have a, two hit songs. <laughs> And, and and you you can you can sell some hard tickets, and there's a and there's an anticipation for your next records. I think to me that's that's an artist that broke. So that's the new definition for you. Yeah, yeah. If if you have multiple songs that you could stick the microphone out for the crowd, and they could sing them back word for word, um, you know, you know, you you got it. You, you you get the big stage of Coachella coming in at Coachella and. 
and you have a hard ticket and people are excited to get, you know, when you're finally going to hit the road. You know, How about that? That's an artist that, that that's broken. <clears throat> who, do you, who do you think has had, and this is a, a very loaded question, um, but who do you think's had the, the largest impact on shaping music culture? Is there an individual or individuals or a movement that you feel have been a significant, uh, played a significant role in shifting music culture? Oof, the business or the culture? <laughs> Oof, look at you. Okay, let, let, you know what? I want to go both so that we can then go through the differentiation of why and how you pose that. Well, Daniel Eck, the business. <laughs> Who? Daniel Eck is, from a business perspective, I mean, listen, you know, it's, it's Spotify is, 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 it's changed everything. Mm. Uh, from a culture perspective, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 wow, it's a great person. I always tell people that from a historical standpoint, at least from my generation, L.A. Reid played, L.A. Reid was very, significant and i don't always believe that people truly give him the flowers that he deserves from a great of of what he did and and when i say what he did was he brought music to the south right and culturally people when when you think about the south you think about okay it's just hip-hop it's just black music that's not just that's not true at all mm -hmm. because what la reed did L.A. Reid gave voices to people like Jermaine Dupri, who's written big, the biggest pop songs for Mariah Carey. He's given, he, he's, he gave Tricky Stewart his very first studio, who wrote Umbrella for Rihanna. He gave Dallas Austin his big, some of his, his first biggest cuts, who's gone on the right. huge records for Gwen Stefani and everybody else. He signed Pink. So when people un, un, understand, he signed Justin Bieber. So it goes, what L.A. Reid did, goes far beyond just LaFace LaFace in urban well, music far beyond um, so I genuinely believe in my generation Ellie Reed is the most responsible for what culturally and so now I could see why you wanted the question to be broken up into two pieces because it's, yeah. it's a significant difference of one that kind of for lack of a better word lay the foundation um, in terms of uh, the impact of what music can be, and that's outside of just urban, i.e. L.A. Reid, yeah. to what Daniel has done with Spotify from a service that's kind of changed the way in which we consume, listen, interact with music. So now that makes total sense uh, for me in terms of why you broke it down uh, from the beginning. Uh, so Personal, the tab documentary storyline of you is about to come on. We've created the documentary about you and the opening scene to your life documentary is about to begin. What song is playing and why? Oh, Steve, what all I do is think of you. Um, no matter where I'm at, no matter how I'm feeling, the moment that song comes on, it, it, it reminds me of all good things in life. It sonically is a warm blanket. It's, it's a sunny day, even if it's raining outside. 
listen, I don't know if you saw the smile that I had when you said that song because it brings that level of joy to me every time I hear that song. And it's funny during Shout out to Michael Jackson singing background. Wait, Michael's singing background on that song? That's Michael Jackson saying all I do is thank you. That's Michael. <laughs> okay, you just took that to a whole nother level for me. I had no idea of that. Yeah, um but but you know what's so funny during COVID, I took the time to start compiling some of my favorite songs and making a playlist because we obviously were all going through so many different things and I I found that I needed a tool or a resource that I could just go to that I knew no matter what was happening, a smile and joy was gonna come to my spirit based off of this playlist. Mm. Um, and obviously one of the first songs was that, for sure, hands down. And Stevie had a ton of songs on the playlist. Yeah, it's just that, that joy that you that you just talked about. He, he exudes that on a number of his records. So I, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, that as a song that's going to be in the opening scene of your documentary. There you go. One thousand percent. I love it. Well, look, we, we always end these with, you know, asking what three seeds you'd want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward. And, and these are three key elements or, or things that you feel uh, are, are going to be necessary to equip those um, who are going to be, you know, shaping and molding culture uh, as we know it moving forward and the things that we deem so precious in our IPs. What would those three things be? Three seeds of culture that I'd like to leave. Well, three seeds. And when I we make the correlation to seeds like a farmer, right? Farmers plant yes. these seeds, they water them, they nurture them, and then they grow into these amazing, beautiful things, or sometimes not, based off of how they're cared for. Okay. So what are the three things that you would impart on the stewards of culture moving forward to say these are the three things I would recommend you being cognizant of and 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 employing and activating and being cognizant of no matter what. Okay. I'd plant one seed and then I'd open the package of seed and it would be individuality. Mm -hmm. And I would I I would say as I plant that seed of individuality from what grows there should be uniquely yourself, uniquely its own thing. Uh, plant that, fertilize it, develop it, individuality. <clears throat> um, the second thing I would, thing I would plant, I, I'd plant, I'd plant a seed of global, uh, <clears throat> because, I, you know, and the world is, is, is very big. And it's funny because I was just last last summer I was went to a bunch of rolling louds. There was a rolling loud in Portugal. There, people didn't even realize that there was that the, that there's all these rolling louds that are taking place globally, and and how much our music takes, you know, is shaping everything. So mm. I believe it's important for and and I love when our artists get on planes and they realize that they you know that there's people who don't speak the language, but they're sitting there singing your record word for word that you made in your bedroom, and the world is 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 is, is musically the world is flat. It's sonically flat, and I think it's important to understand that, you know, although you make music for your area, for your hood, and your boys and your people, that there's a big world out there too, and I think it it and and for good for artists in many yep. areas traveling to the world. Uh, third thing I would plant, uh, man, I think it would just be like let's just treat each other well, man. Let's just treat each other well, like you know, a uh, uh, seed of peace. 
and, and you know that for me, peace is, is everything. And I'm so glad you you closed with that. And e even your first one of individuality just plays back to, you know, when you were walking through the different artists and their impact of when, you know, the outcasts of the world or the Eminem of the world and how impactful they were by kind of painting the pictures of where they were from in a very authentic way. Just imagine that we all applied that to everything that we do that comes from within yes. you. Uh, we, we'd be so much more of a colorful, bright, vibrant society and culture. Um, so I thank you for those. And, and I, I really want to thank you for this time. You know, I, I did not know you personally uh, coming into this um, and obviously doing my research and figuring out tons of mutual friends and obviously the works that you've done. And I, I just want to applaud you for the work, but I'm, I'm more so I'm more so really excited about the work that you're going to do moving forward. And I think when you talk about your affinity for maintaining the integrity of the African diaspora and the music that comes from it, right? And the way that you're kind of uh, advising uh, us to approach it, right? In terms of having the footprint on the continent, doing the things and empowering those who are of the culture and within the continent to ensure that we do this thing a little bit differently than what we've done in the past. And, and for that alone, I truly want to thank you and applaud you. Thank you, my brother. I really appreciate that, man. I, I love what you guys are doing. It's so funny. I just got a call in between it. That was Tim Weatherspoon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. We, we all need to get out for a round of golf. And you can yeah, tell it. Yeah, man. I, I, I want to come to Portland. It's so funny, man. I, Portland is a city that I've never been to. I've flown over it. I've been to Vancouver a billion times. I've been everywhere. But um, yes, I, I need to get to Portland. And I will get to Portland this coming year for sure. We'll make it happen. Well, I, I, I thank you again and look forward to building more. Let's do it. Thank you so much, man. We truly appreciate your support because it helps us fulfill our mission of promoting cultural awareness and personal development. Please click the subscribe button below to help ensure and solidify our mission.